Hello, this is Ted Haas, and in today's episode, I wanted to introduce you to a dear friend and mentor of mine who's now in the cloud of glory, Chief Jay Swallow. He was um, promoted in 2015, but I had the privilege of knowing him for several years and sitting underneath his teaching and learning from him and traveling with him to different locations. And he was a critical part of our movement of Transform Our World. He was very good friends with Dr. Ed Savoso. And um, he taught us, taught me and taught us our movement so much about intercessory prayer and especially about um, spiritual warfare and addressing land issues. Chief Jay Swallow, being a Native American, had a unique worldview and um, uh, his worldview is much closer to Hebraic worldview, which is the worldview of the authors of scripture. So he had insights that would just um, open up the scriptures and really show us how to effectively uh, pray and break curses off of the land and see restoration coming and understand about spiritual protocol. Um, and uh, uh, this message that he shares, he tells about an incredible miracle about how through intercession and spiritual warfare, they broke the spirit of suicide off of Standing Rock Reservation. And this is a message he gave in Brooklyn um, a few years back. And it's a powerful, powerful message. He's an incredible man of God. So um, I think the best way to introduce him is to just let him introduce himself. So without any further ado, here is Chief Jay Swallow telling the story and talking about how to heal the land. Welcome to Dr. Jay Swallow. I said, good evening, all God's chosen people. And certainly I can say that I believe that God has chosen us now for a very special time frame in his recovery of the kingdom of God and um, I believe that as we develop, as we look into what God is saying and what God is doing, that we will be able to find our place, and not only uh, in membership, but with, with, the, with the connection of authority that's going to be um, dismantling strongholds to the degree that we're going to be the main ingredient that we're looking at that is going to start our transformation efforts is the recovery of the wealth for the kingdom of God. So we, I have a lot to say, but probably not tonight, on the transfer of wealth, how I've been involved in that, how we've opened it, entire different, different um, uh, understanding of what it is. I was here several years, well, how about a couple of years ago, yeah, and where we made some journeys here in... In, um, in New York City, we was down in with Peter Wagner, Cindy Jacobs, um, John Benefield, Dutch Sheets, 
And we took a journey, went down into the um, U.S. Treasury down on Wall Street. And there we went down, what, 13 stories below. And, and uh, we began to see the impact that the world money system has upon our nation and to guide into affairs that are co almost completely, totally out of God's concept of operation. And so at that time, the... Um, the uh, orders came from the Spirit of God that we should now begin to strategize of how we're going to remove um, the transfer of wealth back for the kingdom of God. And first of all, if we don't understand what I'm going to say here, we may not be able to stand what's coming ahead of us. We're going to be depending on a great number of you here as key people. I'm going to be mantling you tonight with the authority that I have. Now... I'm not any greater than anybody else. Don't get me wrong. It's not about that. I wouldn't even mention it except the, the prophets have ordered me to do it. And so I, I'm at the mercy of other elements. But um, <clears throat> as we develop um, the concept of what, how this transfer of wealth is going to come back to the kingdom of God, we first of all got to understand that that. We're still an extension and developing the, the grand finale of um, rebuilding the breaches, the house of David that's been broken down. And I want to, with all due respect, remind us that David's kingdom was a military kingdom. It was not one that was um, languishing in, um, in the good, oh, they had good times, but most of the time it is involved in establishing the Davidic kingdom, in order that the peaceful kingdom could be invited in to begin its reign. It was a typified in Solomon, but of course we know those were just types that we could look to. And so what we're doing here today is reminding us that, that uh, we oftentimes missed the greatest advantages that we had in recovery of the kingdom of God. Simply because, and I'm saying this very um, respectfully, because now I've been in the ministry for 46 years. Started out in 1960, and the very first prophecy that was given to me, and here I am off the street, addicted to drugs and alcohol. My wife here could tell you all about that, what she went through. And, um, but the night that God done, done a work on me, he not only saved me, but he filled me with the Spirit all at the same time without me having prior knowledge of the things that we consider in order. You know, you get saved and you get water baptized, you know, formulas. Seemed like he just kind of overruled everything. Maybe I was so bad back then I needed all that. <laughs> but um, whatever happened, the very first prophecy, me not knowing nothing about prophecy, was um, he said, Yea, I've called you as an apostle to Native Americans. And then it wasn't even 10 minutes before another come and whispered in my ear and said, that was a false prophet because there are no more apostles. And that's the way the standard of the church was back in 1960. Some of you weren't even born then. But that's what the attitudes were back in 1960. There was no, there was no apostles. They were all the apostles were the dead ones. Uh, the, the, high, the highest um, 
authority within the system was a bishop. And then they were, they were, um, they were esteemed after their death to an apostleship. They become apostles after they were dead. But that was a system of back then. And I, I didn't know nothing about apostles. I said, well, whatever, you know. Um, what is, what they, I didn't know what an apostle meant. I'd never heard the word before. But as we began to tune in, I began to realize that I had an authority that was unique. And it's, I had good teachers. I was submissive to authorities. God gave me prophets that cared for me, loved me. And um, they constantly kept me under, under supervision. I was brought under tutors and governors until God began to move me out in more authoritative ways. And ever since then, I don't, have to, I don't have to prove myself anymore. We have a track record. Now that God has certainly brought back the apostolic understanding to Native America. And um, we don't have no problem with that. Our problem is when we, religion comes and begins to try to influence us and teaching us that they're, they're, these things are not um, warranted in this day and age that we live in. But, of course, it came over big. People like Wagner and um, uh, Brother Hammond and some of the rest of them who understood these things. And they began to apply it. And, of course, Brother Savoso, I like to, I like to in, my, in my mind framework of how the move of God affected me, and as far as I can calculate, probably um, Brother Ed was one of the first ones to establish the ingredients that where many of them came on board uh, through books and through different varieties of, um, of um, but they all took the, they all took the charge after he began to uh, bring about um, the transformational activity that was going to um, continue into what we're looking at, a, a great force of it beginning to take place throughout America and indeed the world. And so, um, I always like to think that Brother Ed, in my life especially, um, I don't know, I distributed so many of his books on prayer evangelism among our tribe, and our tribes. I serve as 336 tribes. I never have ministered a whole lot to the Eastern tribe because I figured they were civilized, and they didn't need me, and so I said, let them, let them have, you know, their own, <laughs> But I, I'm, I have apostolic covering, recognized 336 tribes. I'm on many boards of uh, honorary boards of, of tribes who have asked me to come in and, to be an advisor on Christian activities and, and um, on and on and on. But um, that's not really important. That's not, I'm just telling you that, that I've watched Brother Savoso handle me. And that's why I honor him so, so much. And um, we're, I'm stretched pretty thin, but I've always come back to be able somehow to, to um, keep Brother Savoso as one of my main, um, my main mentors of certain things that he brought clarity to. And so with all of that, we're going to do a lot of things. But tonight, what I want to just kind of develop for thought purposes that why, why has God chosen New York City uh, to become um, the instrument of recovery, and um, back in my little areas, like um, we we live in a little town of about 1,800, <laughs> and we still leave our doors wide open, and even our neighbors would come in and 
sit down and rest a while. And um, that's how open we are still back. And, um, and, and one of the ladies we rode with, she said, well, we got more than that in our apartment, you know. And, uh, but that's, and here I am kind of swamped up. And I can't, I just cannot quit looking at everything. I mean, buildings and people. And, um, it just, I'm in awe of New York City. But here I am. Uh, Saying, God, how am I going to fit into the picture? And so here we're standing, understanding a lot of things about what we call spiritual warfare. And I'm sure you have already read, you have already studied. And probably in some, some instances, you have probably already been able to dissolve some of the spiritual strongholds. At least enough to give you enough understanding that, that you're on the right track. It may not have resolved all problems, and, uh, and all things have not been um, done away with yet, but and a lot of times when we do something, they, they come and r rain again. They're ne remember, we're, we can never, we don't have the authority to completely, totally destroy a spirit, whether it's a principality or a lesser. There is none. All we can do is to shove him out of our territory. And... Um, and Jesus has left that for him, his own self. He said, I, I remember that day. Many of you saw the, the, the movie Passion. And if you as a Christian can observe that movie and if it can really absorb into you how brutal that was, I think, I think rightfully so that Jesus will have the right. Amen. As he comes and he, amen, takes apart every spiritual force that we force back to where they come from. And he casts them into the lake. That's his privilege. Everything that happened on that day will culminate in total victory. But we ourselves have been commissioned to, to identify and move these out of our territory. And um, one of the strongest forces that we have Seen, and I say this, um, not building, um, this is my opinion, in, in constant warfare, is that probably the highest level of um, spiritual powers manifested was probably a spirit called, a stronghold called Leviathan. And um, we see him in the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job mentioned, so he's one of the first ones that was identified not too far from where um, he caused, um, Satan caused uh, um, mankind to be disrupted by, by um, influencing our earthly father and our earthly mother, which is um, Adam and Eve. We're all extended, no matter what color we are. And um, this is, but we, we find the end. Now, you, a lot of people have tried to put this thing in a nutshell. Well, it was just a snake. No, it, it, was, it was a spiritual force. And immediately it moved into the waterways. There was four heads that he was able to influence ahead of time. Enough influence through the waterways that many areas were affected and they become to, um, to do things contrary. And God finally had to cut it off. And, and through the flood, it had an advantage 
Um, but I don't, uh, it's not clear as how much advantage it had except that God was setting a course. That when God flooded the world, this spirit force was able to permeate every area, every landmass that was to be recovered as the waters began to recede and left the waterways extended. Like here in America, our major waterways would be the Mississippi River. They got other waterways um, running through there, but they're all connected to them, um, to those two rivers that uh, surround a country called ancient Babylon. Today it's called Iraq. And um, but the Tower of Babel that, that was built at that time, um, we're, we're going to have to deal with that. And in fact, Ed wants me to deal, he wants to, wants me to spend it substantial amount of time on Thursday dealing with, with how the, the Babylonian um, empire is typified through scripture and I will be wading through that systematically to bring it out to clarity so we'll know exactly how we're going to be able to form our own forces and remember I know every one of you are, have good minds I'm not, I'm not at all at this time um, um, saying that, that, that you don't know anything that's not it at all. What we're trying to do is enhance, uh, put a little, um, amen, uh, ingredients in you perhaps that will really bring it together, that we can begin to work towards the efforts of dismantling these, these, these spiritual strongholds. Now, the Leviathan was spread through the waterways. Of course, when God scattered man, uh, they have a lot of other opinions that God confused their language so that they wouldn't understand uh, they didn't understand one another, but perhaps at that time there was a lot of, lot of um, people groups that was there that wasn't quite understanding what um, Nimrod and his wife Semiramis and later on Tamas, his son, were going to be um, counterfeiting, putting it down in a counterfeit way, representing what we call, amen, the... Um, this, the, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the family concept of, of the family of God. And back then, even the counterfeits was beginning to be laid down in order to disrupt what God was going to eventually do in our time, in our time frame. And so, um, back then, um, God confused them, gave every language, and they scattered them. And, of course, it's only, it's only fair to say that a few people that were used to maybe the desert life could uh, went to be a part of that. But the rest of them, if they were going to find any adventure in, in life itself, they had to follow the waterways. And eventually, every continent um, become permeated with um, different people groups. Here in America, we had 586 tribes here. You call us Indians in a package deal. And... Um, <laughs> But really, um, um, every one of them, we have different um, cultures, different um, uh, languages, and different religions. And um, I, I ministered all through the Canadian, um, uh, northern Canadian, and into the Arctic North, where we, we encountered probably at least 15, 16 different linguistic groups, which I, as an Indian, had to use an interpreter. And so... And, and they heard their cultures was different. I had to find out how to cross culture 
from my culture to their culture. That doesn't mean I accept a lot of things that, that has been added to them for evil purposes, but I had to find out what the solid purposes was that God gave them that would make them survivors long enough for him to develop the kingdom of God that we are looking at today. There's not all of the native culture are bad. In fact, a lot of them have been incorporated into um, uh, good, good things. I think the Iroquois uh, League here has got a lot to say about our Constitution, the United States of America. And they looked into that and saw the values of that and, and borrowed into many of the things that makes us a free state, uh, free, free people today. And these great councils of old and was, um, was valuable. So they, we weren't just a bunch of savages as they as the novelist um, would like to portray us. Amen. We were called that because some of the investigators that were sent to Native America uh, could not possibly unravel the complexity of their society. That's how complex it was. It wasn't just to, just to throw the thing together and nobody had a, um, a, except for survival purpose, to stay together. Most of our society was very complex. And it was very organized, maybe not in the way that uh, the European model was, but we were survivors for thousands of years, and we still are today. We haven't been broken yet. I'm, I'm still a full blood. That doesn't mean nothing. If you're, if you're uh, one, one thirty-second uh, Cherokee, that's all right. <laughs> I was teasing those Cherokee guys yesterday. I said, you know. You know what they call 32 Cherokees lined up? He said, what? I said, one full blood. <laughs> and they, it was kind of, they got a big laugh out of it. But uh, we got to understand that, that today someone heralded it somewhere in the past. That the, if we're going to recover the kingdom of God purposes in America, that we're going to have to deal with Native America first. And that's not so hard to do if you can understand it according to God's, God's mind, his mindset. Not so hard at all. We're not a favorite. We're just as evil as everybody else. In fact, we've been branded eviler because we've got casinos. <laughs> Even though all the white people come and gamble. But in reality, out of all 586 tribes, only a third of them own casinos. And only half of that are what you call profit-making. And those that are profit-making are those around large um, metropolitan and populated areas. We've got, we've got casinos all down that just barely make enough to hire the people that they, um, that, to run it. But at least it's maybe 200 jobs. I'm not for it now. When it came to our tribe, I campaigned against it and voted against it. But I was overruled. But nevertheless, um, that will be taken care of in time when God begins to bring back the resources. Um, God's hid a lot of things away. Uh, you got to understand that this ground is not empty yet. A lot of time they thought it was. They said, well, we've got everything out and give it back to the Indians. And we go back there and it's hardly make a living out of it. And that's why most of our reservations, especially in the central part of the northern part of, this, of America, is permeated with um, poverty. I know the Pine Ridge Lakota Sioux 
and they're at a county called Shannon, Shannon County in South Dakota. And, and South Dakota is the poorest state in America, and Shannon County is the poorest county in South Dakota. And it takes in all of the Pine Ridge Reservation, the Lakota Sioux. I can speak about it because I'm one-fourth um, Lakota from my father. And, um, but all of these ingredients <clears throat> are, are bringing back um, ways and means how God is going to recover. Um, Leviathan is going to be probably our biggest entity. I, I have been assigned, and as soon as we can get enough um, intercessors together that understands what we're going to be doing, we're going to Washington, D.C. The Lord has um, talked to me about it. And now we're under two senators covering. They're Christians. And they said, we'll sponsor it, whatever you want to do. And, and it's a kind of a wild thing, but I believe God's bringing it into clarity. And they have a... They have a um, Something happens to every politician and people who live in the, the great complex of Washington, D.C. Something happens to them and they stay there. They call it Potomac fever. And they, if they stay there long enough, they become, they become in, ingrained with power. It, it begins to move in a different direction. It begins to open up a lot of the, their own senses to different things and, and, and suddenly the good things begin to move away and the power of things because they have that power, whether it's for evil, for women, prostitution, you name it. And that's why the senators are always saying, um, let's get our term done, do our business and get home and um, break it. But it's called Potomac fever. And um, But the Lord had, had outlined that to me in a session we had with the with some of the senators as well as some of the House of Representatives, that properly done and properly understood, we can we can dismantle that um, because it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a, uh, a, a what you call a, a vein of Leviathan. I can bring all that together, but we're not going to do that tonight. But they and they understood it, so we're getting ready now. I'm getting my, my team together training them, and we're going to go in and do our work. And I believe we're going to see some changes in Washington, D.C. And I believe we're going to see some changes in New York City. And I believe that God is anxious for us to find our place. It's not that we're going to have to go beg and ask him. He's just saying, man, come on, you know, open up. Let, let, let's get this thing going. And um, so Leviathan is probably going to be our, our worst enemy, the hidden one. Um, that controls a lot of others. Baal, Molech. I mean, you can, see, if you don't understand that every, every spiritual power has to come out of this understanding. It's already there. Don't manufacture a new one or you'll be going the ways of Wicca and different other things, getting their gods the God of the, of, the, of the Hindus and the Indi India, where there are millions of different, and you'll be borrowing there because it's a, it's a, everybody wants to have a revelation of something. But you stick, you stick here, you're going to do well. Because this is where all the principalities are named. 
someday just get your book out, a good study book, and put down all of the, and then get their natures and begin to understand how they operate. Because those are usually the principality over a stronghold. Then he has a network. It's just like um, an octopus. Um, he has all these technicals working. And sometimes we may get a generic term that says, yes, we, we understand suicide. So we go in with our swords and, our, and we cut it off. And, and it may, you may cut it off, but eventually it will grow back in time because we have not dealt with the head. Just a simple illustration. A few years ago in 2001, I was called to a reservation in South Dakota that was being plagued with suicide. Suicide. And um, <clears throat> it was at the rate of six attempts a month. And with two actual since the year 1989 to the year 2001. Now, if you care to break down mathematically, I'll let you do that. I know, but it'd be good for you to exercise them and look into something that you said, how? How? You know, how many of our young people was wiped out because we didn't understand how to deal with principalities. Well, it got out of control. December of um, 2001, um, they finally called me. They said, Brother Jay, he said, he said over $2.5 million has been spent from government projects. They funded it, um, health programs and uh, prevention programs and um, psychological programs, health programs, you name it. They brought every team to deal with suicide, and it gets worse. He said, so finally, we just told him to pack your bags and leave. We'll handle ourselves. Then they called me. They said, we hear you have been doing a lot of different work among different tribes with these kind of things. I said, well, I'm not a specialist. I said, but I understand a lot of things. And they said, would you come? And so I began to pray about it. And uh, we had previously gone to a, an area out in western Oklahoma in the Panhandle and where there had been discovered some caves there several years ago. And there were writings in that cave that nobody could understand. One of the experts named Gloria Farley, she has a book called In Plain Sight. She talks about how the markings of the old world travelers was here venturing through this nation. And where our history would say they couldn't make it, they didn't have the boats. But they've proven that the Phoenicians were very one of the best mariners in the world. They could go anywhere they wanted to go with the boats that they had. But anyway, along this waterway called the Cimarron River um, in, in western Oklahoma, a very, very um, desolate area. It used to be used by many of the tribes that wandered through there. There was the Kiowa, Comanche, Cheyenne, Rappo, Sioux, and um, Plains Apache. And later on, some of the Wichita's and Delaware's and Caddo's and Blackfeet would visit that area because of its remoteness of um, desolation. Anybody back then that, that wanted to find a place to where um, they would be challenged by spiritual forces around them, that was the place they picked. But um, this lady went in there, and she couldn't understand it, so she contacted a guy by the name of Barry Fells. Now, you could get Barry Fells' book from the bookstore, He's got one called America, B.C. He's a very 
um, knowledgeable man. He came to Oklahoma, and they went out to see the caves, and he was floored. He said, this is exactly what we've been deciphering and we've been watching in the tombs of Egypt and throughout the Phoenician Empire. He said, this is um, a worship, and what this particular cave was about, it was dedicating this whole country to Baal. And other entities was involved. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing because it's lengthy, and uh, it took us a long time. When, the, when Gloria Farley, the one who got, the, she called us at the Oklahoma Concert of Prayer and said, um, can you, he said, you need to go out and pray or do something. And so we got permission from the rancher who owns it. He won't let nobody on her. He's afraid that every cult and every, every kind of demonic force will rush there. And probably so. And it's a walk-in area, two and a half areas through rattlesnake-infested country. And it takes, it's so sparse, it takes 30, 37 acres of land to feed one cow every year. And that's how sparse it is. And the rattlesnakes during their shedding season around August, um, they move their cattle out because the rattlesnakes are so aggressive that um, they're just mean as you can get. And, um, and that was the year, that was the month that we chose to go in for ourselves. And the rancher had told us, he said, it's not a good idea. He said, you're welcome, but not this month. He said, we've just gone in there and with our horses and we pulled out all of our cattle. and We got them down in the lower uh, grassland. He said, because of, we lose so many cattle. Uh, to rattlesnakes and he said um, normally a rattlesnake will not just go attack but when they're when they're through shedding and they're tender and they're still trying to get a hard shell there at a tender spot and um, maybe a, a cow will stumble their way well that right away they get aggressive so anyway we, we said we, we were going to go in and so he said all right Two and a half hours it takes to walk in. You can't drive in because there's, it's just the terrain is just not proper. And so well, we got lost. We had a crude map. We got lost and um, kept looking around. One of our uh, apostles, uh, friends of ours, he fell in a large hole, skinned up all his legs with the rocks down there, and we pulled him out, doctored him up with a little um, ointment we had, and and he, he kind of got upset with him. He said, uh, he said, a blind man could have saw that hole. And as soon as he said that, I felt something just come, vibrate through me. And I said, all right, let's get together. So we all got together, and we couldn't find that place. That map just seemed like it was leading a different direction. And then finally, we began to pray. And I began to bind this forces, and I began to do warfare. And no longer did we get out of it that one of the men just looked up. His name was Eric Cox. He just looked up and he said, what's that? And it was in plain sight. We went just straight as a crow fly. Just boom, we was right there. But it was so cold in that cave. It's, just, it's August in, in Oklahoma, 110, 112 degrees. And, um, and here we get in, a, in this shallow cave and it's so cold. And then John Benefield, who is the leader for the concert of prayer, began to pray, do warfare. 
he called on different ones. And all at once, he just stopped. He said, he said, Jay, it's obvious you have the authority over the land. And it didn't take long. Five minutes, we had broke that. And God just brought in a real cool air that came in there. We blew the shofar, and it went out. We tried to do it before. And the guy who did it, a guy named Larry Brown, some of you might have heard of him. He's an expert at it. I mean, he's not just a guy who blows, um, you know, just the way it's to get a sound. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And um, he gets out there. The first time we was there, I said, serve notice, we're here. And that thing was so flat, it was ridiculous. Oh, I looked at it. And he looked. And he tried again, you know. And I said, never mind. But when we got through, he blowed that shofar, and I tell you, it rung out through that Cimarron River Valley, reverberated over the cannon walls, and called in four eagles. Just came and circled us and came down so close we could see their eyes as they were looking at it. And um, I knew right then that this vortex, the spiritual powers that we had control. So it took us all day. We went from phase one all the way through dismantling this, this spirit. And at the end of the day, um, before it got dark, we had two and a half hours to, to walk out of there. We didn't see one rattlesnake, not one. Uh, uh, Eric Cox began to jump around and scream, and I said, oh, he got bit. We went on, but it was a, it was a shed skin. <laughs> and, uh, and we all teased him a lot after that. He's, he, he's from New Jersey. He, didn't, he don't know nothing about it. <laughs> and... Um, and anyway, um, we had to leave, but what we did, we took communion, and right there on the altar where they, they had to sacrifice, um, and they had two channels running out of there, dug in the sandstone rock, and they went kind of down around like this, down to ground level. Now, this cave was about four feet off the level of the ground, just because of its time and erosion. Okay, but down there they had carved out two little sections and then they tarred, and then they met again and went straight down. When we poured the oil and the wine over the altar and it, it, it started a course, and it headed straight for that, those two, and it split off and rejoined and went back and went down to the ground. And I kept thinking about that. I said, I don't know what's so familiar with this. But it wasn't until we, I got home and I started to study the old maps in the back uh, of my Bible there. And I found that one that gave the ancient um, nation of Babylon. And this was a perfect, we almost could put it on, on the, uh, what do they call it, transpose it upon it. That it was the, the two rivers outlining the Tigris and the Euphrates that surrounds, that's in um, ancient Babylon back then and Iraq today. And then it goes on down to the Persian Gulf. And um, we've, we've always amazed at it several times. We look at it. And, um, but I knew right then that the, one of the leading, leading principalities that was going to be attached to the Baal was going to be, and that's sun worship. We've got to remember that. That's sun worship. A lot of people have their own interpretation, but you go back the ancient Babylonians, uh, and, and all, later on it was in, integrated to the Egyptians. 
and it was the sun god of ancient Baal was the sun ancient sun god. And all these people, holy men of tri different tribes, would go there to seek for spiritual powers. Now, a vision quest is four days. Three days you spend what we call emptying yourself, just like we would do here, fasting, praying, and getting right with God. And in their sense, it's a different level. They go and they empty themselves. And um, bad things, bad thoughts, things they did wrong because they're special holy men that's supposed to be um, uh, spiritual advisors to their tribes. And then on the fourth day, they begin to call in the spirits that would be their guiding spirits. It may become in different forms. An eagle might circle, a wolf might howl. And, but all of these are later on, um, they're, they're um, defined. And then they usually that medicine man say, well, this is going to be, they call it medicine. That's why they call it medicine man. It doesn't mean the kind of medicine we have in, down in the pharmacy. But it's a power, spiritual power. Sometimes they put it in bundles. Sometimes they interweave it with different feathers, bones, rocks, paints, different things. And sometimes they wear it on their body. That's their powers. And, um, and then they take it back to the tribe, and then they tell the story. And then now these are added to uh, the basic. Now, I'm going to add here. You, it will get you to wonder that in my investigation, all tribes here that was here were monotheistic in their base religion. They believed in one creator, all father God. Now I know a lot of people today, they say, well, is it like Allah? That's, that, we're so prone. We, we don't understand the biblical content of what, what we're evaluating. First of all, he said, all things happened unto them, Israel, for our example to whom the ends of the world have come. He said, if you want to compare anything, don't grab it out of some false religion. Look back at the pattern. Now, that's not condemning Israel because we're in a, we're in a state of recovery for their benefit. And so, um, but all you got to do is look that, with God, that Israel was monotheistic. And when a generation came along that was weak, because of good times and good things, they no longer be dependent upon the, strength, the, the strong prayers and the forces of prayer and intercession and the, and the high priests begin to languish. Well, when the enemy came up against them and they began to lose the battles, this generation began to think, perhaps our God, it's time now, maybe God wants us to join another. For more power. When it wasn't easy, it wasn't, it wasn't hard for them to go and to enjoin some of those higher power, like Baal. God condemned Baal, Molech, all of these things. Because they had, here's Israel in natural monotheistic belief. But when they began to call on others, the attachments came. But because the promise that God gave to Israel... God said, Israel, he said, I'm going to preserve you until that I be able to bring forth a new creation. I'm not going to abandon you. You're the root of that tree. We must always remember that. The branches do not support the life of the, of, the, of the tree. 
He said, the branch, it's the root that supports us. Even though they were cut off for unbelief and we were engrafted in, he said, don't, don't get your thinking that I'm abandoning. I know back in the 60s, they come up with the uh, 70s, they came up with a, what they call a replacement theology. Many of, the, uh, many of the ministers back then was gaining popularity of great revelations that God has now divorced Israel and it's got nothing to do with them. You've got to be careful of these things. You've got to be very careful. God, God never divorced them. God never, he's in his plan, in his plan. I mean, the nets, after we repair our nets, they're still weak. We, can't, we couldn't get, that's why we can't get a revival in America. Our nets are not strong enough. The, the kingdom uh, message and authority that is being developed today is going to be the very uh, network that's going to make that sh- this last throw out for a net to bring in the harvest of God. But Israel is with them. They're with them. It was kind of in the form when Jesus said, who shall ever say to this mountain, standing on the mount of God, be thou removed and cast into the sea, doubt not in his heart. Well, symbolically, this happened when the, the, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. God began to move to the Gentile nations. But where did Israel go? Did they, were they just no more? No. They were added to the sea. And they are ready for harvest soon. They're still flocking together, just as many nations are in the sea, uh, depicted as different types of fish. But when the last, the last time he told them to cast out his nets was after his resurrection, and, he, and they said 153 great fishes. Now, I don't know what a great fish is. I like to think they were just big fish. You know, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> I like to get that big one. And, um, but nevertheless, the key to that was the nets did not break. That gives us now that we are going to have a harvest. We are going to have, amen, fishing. Jeremiah 16, verse 15 says it. He said, I will call for fishermen and hunters. And I will cause them to fish you, talking to Israel, cause you to fish, fish you. He said, and then the restoration of Israel is promised. But the greatest conflict of spiritual warfare will happen there. Right now, we're, we've left from, the, from what we call Golgotha's Hill. And now we've been going eastward constantly. We would say westward, but we're going... We went east, and we're going farther and farther. Right now, the the dragon nations themselves, typified into Leviathan countries, are now beginning to receive great moves of the Spirit. Um, China and different ones are beginning to receive God because we're on a journey back to where it all began. And when they come again to those nations surrounding Israel, there's going to be a cry that's going to go up. Now we have all the forces necessary to crush this dreaded people called the nation of Israel. And, but at that time, there's going to be a cry. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
guess where that's coming from? It's coming from a gleaned specialty forces that God is bringing every one of you for. That means that you, you will have no more ethnic condemnation, racial differences, prejudice, because if you have any of these, you probably are anti-Semitic also, even though you say you're not. This is the only way he can prove you, is to knock this out of you. And if you can come through that, then God says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I don't want to get preaching here. I'm supposed to be lecturing, I guess. But I want you to know how important this is for Native America. Don't, don't minimize it. Um, I walked for, many, for the first 10 years with a concert of prayer, um, recovering Oklahoma uh, the, with the black and white issues. I didn't have nothing against black people. Uh, they never did nothing to me. I had no feelings. And, and, uh, but they did because they kept dealing with it over and over and over again. And I used to be the one to get, it, get after them. I said, hey, you know, why don't you just put it behind you? Let it go, you know. And, um, but finally we got it that just about every uh, black community in Oklahoma was visited in some way in reconciliation. And then all at once the attention came to the Native American. It involved me. I'm a descendant, direct descendant from two major massacres on the Cheyenne tribe. The um, Sand Creek Massacre in Colorado. Chief Black Kettle was a chief there. He survived that massacre, but his wife had seven bullet holes when they finally found him hiding out in the prairie and were rescued. He lived four more years, <clears throat> 1868, living along the banks of the Washita River in western Oklahoma, waiting under a flag of truce and an American flag, guaranteeing them that they were safe. And General George Armstrong Custer came and again uh, massacred the entire village. This time, my great-great-grandfather was killed. And he was, um, um, at that time, everything ceased, seemed like, for the Cheyenne Nation. But um, I came from that. And being a Christian for so many years, I thought I had overcome everything. But I often wondered why I could not go to the white people to minister. It took 37 years of me wandering upon 336 tribes. Happy as could be. I was happy. And all at once, God began to say, I'm calling you back now. I didn't want to go. I said, and then I had my, a, a gospel tent set up in my own reservation, preaching to my people. And um, a gentleman came from Oklahoma City and said, um, we want you to come to we're having a conference in Oklahoma City. We'd like for you to come. I said, oh, conference? What kind of conference? I said, I'm busy here. I said, I ain't time for that. He said, please. He said, would you just come? And he, he sounds so sincere, me and my friend, Nigel Big Pond, we looked at one as, well, let the pastors carry on a couple of days. And so we went. 
We got into this place, and man, I tell you what, it was jam-packed. And I looked, I was in on, you know, I was on the ground I wasn't used to. There wasn't a brown skin in the whole place. <laughs> and they escorted us in and took us to the front row and set us down between Chuck Pierce and John Benefield. And every once in a while, I'd catch them looking at me. They'd be looking at me like that. <laughs> And when I look at them, it turned around and looked the other way. I said, it's a trap. <laughs> Didn't know what was going on. And at the, in the middle of the service, they got up and they talked about it, reconciliation. And then finally, they asked um, me to come up, me and Nigel, Big Pond. We stood there under the sea of people. And they knelt down on their knees and asked forgiveness. And I would like to say that, <laughs> that the Calvary was overwhelming. I wasn't going to say no under any circumstances. I mean, it was too big of a people. So I gave it. But in my heart, I really didn't see it. Why? I said, because I'm filled with the stories of old. My grandmother was the last living descendant. He, she was the granddaughter of Chief Black Kettle. I buried her, what was it, during 1966, somewhere along in there. She was well over 100 years old. She's the last survivor. And um, she was just a child. They put her in a hole, covered her with, with wood, firewood. And that's how she escaped. And now, she would all her life, she refused to talk English. I was born along the North Canadian River in a tent. We all still lived in tents in that time when I was born. And, um, but I was assigned just as soon as I was old enough, me and my first cousin, to take care of her. We used to go to the spring and get fresh water and bring it back every day. Go out and carry wood for her, break up, chop up what we could. Make sure her comforts. And as we grew, we would become hunters for her. She would eat store-bought food. We went out after the small game because there's no more big game left. Rabbits and squirrels, things like that. And um, we become very um, good at it. And, um, but every so often, she would set us down around the campfire. And we knew we was going to go through it. <laughs> she would tell us the story as she remembered it, of the massacre at Washita. And she would cry. That's what used to tear me up. I cry. Sometimes I didn't want to listen. I tried to hold my ears. But she was so vivid, so dramatic. And all that was within me. I, got, I become a Christian, never dealt with anything like that in the past. But one day, John Benefield, and it was in the month of September, came to me. He said, Jay, he said, we're going to have a pastor's meeting out in western Oklahoma. We would like for you to come. I said, sure, I'll go. We had it that morning, and after we had lunch, and he said to me, he said, Jay, he said, what would it be if we went out to that massacre site? I've never been there. And the clouds was really rolling. And, you know, back home, uh, we live in a place called Tornado Alley. And we had record. We had 21 tornadoes down on the ground in one night at the same time. 
And um, I took a look at the clouds, all them, what they call wall clouds. I said, well, I don't know. It looks pretty bad. I found myself making excuses. And I didn't like my feelings. And um, he said, I'd like to go see. I've never been there. And I said in my mind, I said, I suppose he's going to go back to his clean, sterile church and tell everybody a real descendant took me on a tour of that. And that was making me angry because here I am, a born-again believer, and all that's supposed to be behind me. I had them kind of thoughts all the way out. And we got out there and we stood together with one another. And they asked me to explain what had happened. How much time do I have here? Is this boring? I don't want to keep developing anything that might not be in, in line with what we want to get. But this, these are important things you've got to understand. If you don't understand these main things, you're just going to be doing rituals. You won't have no heartfelt in it. There won't be no connection. That's why I said, whether you like it or not, you've got to hear these things. I know a lot of people get so super spiritual, they say, oh, we don't need to understand anything. That's why we've never got any work done. We're having to come down and do the basic things over again in order that we'll be able to accomplish what God sent us to do. So you've got to have a, some understanding with this. But at that time, I, I didn't want to say anything. I just said, well, read the plaques over there. There was a plaque there, what the government said had happened. He said, no, we want you to. And finally, I, I began to stall. And I tell you, just every bit of the corner of my memory just came back. Boom. I could tell him exactly where the, my grand, grand, grandfather's teepee was, who lived around him because we were in clans. My ancient ancestors, where they lived, where they died. And um, I, 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 it was so embedded because of her. And, whew, but I finished. I got through. And I got mad at myself. I said, you told things to these white people. That should never have come out. Those are yours. And then one of the brothers came to me and put his arms around me. And he said, he began to weep. And they all came. And here I was in the middle, in the huddle. And they were weeping and crying, and their tears were just soaking my, my shirt. And when one of them said, um, how can you ever forgive us for what our ancestors did to yours here. And I said, it, it's not about you. You didn't do anything. And that's when God just literally slapped me upside the head. <laughs> and he said, son, time now to be healed. Time to let it go. And then I knew. I realized that I had harbored that thing all my life. Justifying my actions if something went wrong with me and white, po white folks. But now God brought it to the forefront. I gave forgiveness that day. 
and I meant it with all my heart. Heaven's opened. Power of God came down upon us. Here we was, eight of us, seven white men, one black man. I adopt them all in our tribe. They're Cheyennes now. <laughs> they all got Cheyenne names. But that was the beginning of my re-entry into what we're doing here tonight. And don't minimize if God speaks to you about the native communities. Don't brush it off. Because until you recover that properly, and you may have done it. I'm, I'm not saying that maybe you've already made them advances. But I'm just saying that once that is done, and the apostolic native American begins to rise up with the authority over the land. I don't have no authority over the over the riches of uh, New York. That's Ed and these other guys. Me, it's the land. And I can go, I, I'm trans, I, I can go anywhere by prophetic. You know, like, like I had some native people argue with me. So, well, we're the ones that, I said, now listen, I said, I'm under prophetic and apostolic authority. I respect, I said, that you think I'm invading your territories. That's, that's not it at all. I said, I'm under divine commission and a mission. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to build you and release you to be your own apostolic strength. Now we're beginning to see that every place we've done that, God has moved in. Yeah, now when we went to that place in South Dakota, it was November the 28th and the 29th. 20, we got there the night of the 27th, 28th and 29th. It just took two days after God showed me the principality. We got there that, that night about 3 in the morning. It was about 30 below zero winter time and we stopped at the reservation line and it was um, a ravine that separated and a bridge that went to cross over and we crossed over it was on reservation we stopped there at three o'clock in the morning and me and um, Larry Brown who accompanies me with all these major warfare events I said dress warm I said we're going to get out I got to make some declarations so we did we got out and it was at that time that God gave me um, gave me the, the words to use. I, had no, I didn't have nothing before. I just do like anybody else, you know. What I heard, I repeat. But at that time, while we were standing there, God said, I'm going to give you a summons. Now, how many knows what? It's a legal term. He said, I want you to serve the principality here and bind him over to the courts of heaven. Until you go in and gather a jury to decide his fate. And I did so. I declared it. I handed the summons. I bound him over to the court. I said, you're, you're bound. And I, I bind all of, your, uh, all of your network. I send him into confusion. And we went in there. And it only took two days after the clearance we had there for spiritual entities. Second day, over 110 leaders. Some of them weren't saved. Some of them were traditional. And some of them were representatives from the Sundance. 
And now that was the one I was going to go after. And I kept strategizing. If I say Sundance and it's a legal religion of the tribe, they'll be able to stop me, escort me off the reservation, and that will be the end of it. But I use biblical terms. I just use Baal. I use Ra, the jackal god of the dead. And then what I had to, do, what I had to say, I, I said it in my own language, Cheyenne. And so they didn't understand what I was saying, but they were agreeing with me. <laughs> so I had their agreement. And um, finally we dismantled it. Oh, what a powerful time that was when Raymond and I went right into it. And I said, now the, I asked the people after they learned, and every one of them gave their hearts to God. They all said the sinner's prayer. And then I said, now after I've defined this force to you, what we're going to dismantle today. I said, how do you find him? And they said, guilty. And then I was able to pronounce it. In the courts of heaven, we have found him guilty. And now we evict him. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we declare this to be the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And heaven opened up. Big time. We couldn't even stand up. Even the, the, the fake flowers along the wall were shaking. <laughs> Nobody could stand up. We were staggering like, like we were drunk. And we... I was holding myself up trying to look, and people were falling down, and they, some were screaming, and some were, were speaking in, the, in languages, tongues. And I just gave in. I said, God, it's, it, you're in control now. For three and a half solid hours, we wallowed in the Spirit of God. And one by one, it began to lift. And there was no need to say, I wonder if we got it done. We knew. We set our cordials, loaded up, went back. I went back to Oklahoma, took my team back. For three solid years, they, not, they never had one attempt, let alone a suicide. Then it started up again. The story's not over. It would serve us notice that if you don't, if you break covenants that you make, you are in danger of turning back over territories. Now, we had got those seven pastors together after they seen what happened, and we covenanted with them, and they covenanted with one another that they would be now the gatekeepers. They would prohibit these forces to coming back or trying to sneak in, and they would pray every week as a group they did that for three solid years, but they got tired of meeting. And they broke their covenants. And just like that, three suicides in a row. Tribal chairman called me. He said, there's panic. So I said, all right. We got, I got my, another team ready. We went in. But this time I signed the grandmas. I said, you grandmas have been there. You've had to bear the reproach of walking in, seeing your grandsons, your granddaughter hanging, amen, from the rafters or from the trees in the backyard. 
You had to suffer those things, I said, and you're the perfect candidate. All you need to do is to get, amen, your heart to God. And boy, those old grandmas got on their knees, gave their hearts to God. And from that day until then, there has been no suicide. So there's a lot of dynamics and principalities that are attached to these things. Now, as we begin to approach what we're doing here, and I'm going to do this here in 920. We've got lots to do tomorrow yet. I want to, those of you that have a heart for it, be able to mantle you with the kind of authority that you're going to need to change the spiritual climate in this city. We did some work. My brother and I, he was with us. We went in and we did a lot of prayer in that treasury that belongs to the World Banking System. And what was that, $97 billion worth of gold stacked up there? We just gazed at it. <laughs> here, I couldn't even afford a little gold ring for my wife, you know, and here we're looking at this mountain of gold. And um, so we continued. We went down to Jekyll Island where Alexander Hamilton put together the Illuminati that was to rule the world banking system. And it was there, after two days of intense warfare, that we began battle. And I remember Peter Wagner's wife, Doris, was there. Cindy was so... I never seen Cindy like that. You know, she's a great lady on the platform delivering. But in that setting, I tell you, I mean, everybody was completely submitted to the Spirit of God. And Peter had brought a hourglass. I don't know where he got it from. Great big one. It had sand in it. He put it on the table and he said, Jay, he said, you have the authority over the land. When I turned this over, he said, we're all going to do spirit, and we're going to close the windows of iniquity over the money system. I said, okay. I didn't know what. I just waded in with the rest of them. One solid hour, we did warfare. And then toward the close, Peter stopped us. He said, get ready, Jay. And boy, I mean, God gave me everything I needed as we declared and we shut that window up. And then we worship and praise. And then he said, now I'm going to turn it over. We're going to worship another hour. He said, at the end of this hour, he said, Jay, I want you to open up the windows of heaven for the transfer of wealth to the kingdom of God. And so that's, we did it. And that, that warfare there was, really intense for some reason the, the powers the enemy powers did not want us to get that far but we did and we broke it uh, you'd have to tell ask the individual what, what we all did and I'm not going to say nothing about that but boy I mean it was powerful and so ever since then I have been I've been carrying this authority for the transfer of wealth and um a lot of things happening to me right now. And God's just gifting me in areas. And while my brother said, we're going to take the offering for Brother Jay, I thought to myself, I said, good. I said, because 
after I get through and they evaluate how they give, then I'm going to bless them that God would open up their windows upon every individual here. But there's no need for me to, to convince anybody of this. It's, we have it proven. Not long ago, I was called to a rancher in Texas, 50,000-acre ranch. He's born again, saved, spirit-filled. He says, God told me to sell all my cattle, and I did. He said, now my money's running out from all of the uh, money. He said, but God says, no, he knows I preserved this land. He said, would you come and pray over it? I said, sure. We went out in his pickup. We went around the area. They were trying to drill a well on the hill, or an oil well, but they wasn't hitting nothing. And um, finally, I began to smell oil, and I told him, here, you put a well here, put a well there, put a well there. He marked it all out. Two weeks later, they're pumping up 300 barrels an hour. Sweet crude. <laughs> and he turns around, and he buys me $5,000 worth of stock in a company now that makes me, at this point, six, worth $600,000. But it, we're locked into a year. I got eight months before we can develop that. And they said, by the time the year is up, you're going to be probably past a millionaire. <laughs> and... and I, I, I look at these things as normal anymore. They're not, they're not subnormal. They're certainly not abnormal. But these are normal things that's happening because the transfer of wealth is coming. And Brother Ed has that, has that overwhelming vision here in, in, um, in New York City. That's why we're here. Why we're here. Uh, he's convening a meeting among a selection of, of those that he feels like um, God's putting together. I had a conversation at length with him a while ago. And I, I finally heard his heart. I, um, we never really could get it across what our thoughts were, but I can, I can see it now. It's very valid. You are going to be the beneficiary of what's going to take place that's going to be birthed out of this meeting. And so you, you need to get ready. You got to plan. You got to plan your your wealth wisely. Remember, it's not to get a condo in in Maui. <laughs> Although you probably will be allowed to if you want to. I know um, Emmanuel Canastracy's got one over there in um, Hawaii, big old condo. And I sent word to him. I said, I said that that one across the the road from me, I said, I'm going to move in pretty soon. <laughs> We're always kind of teasing one another. But um, I want you to know that this is serious. We're on the right track. And what we're doing now is bringing to you the credibility and, um, of, of an apostolic structure that's already been in place, if you can accept that. Now, you may look at me just like an, another Indian. You know, uh, Indian guy don't know what he's doing. They don't know what we're, what we're called today. Some people, most, our younger groups say, we want to be called native. Or the other ones are First Nations. And um, they want different titles. 
And they always say, well, they, they use the excuse that Columbus um, thought he landed in India. So he named his Indians. And they like to tease a little bit and say he was drunk or he was starving. He didn't know what he was doing. But, he, and, um, but that's not really true. The research has well, based us out. That the first time he came under the Spanish um, covering from Queen Isabel, I'm talking about Christopher Columbus, he landed in some of the islands, and um, the friar that was with him looked, and they seen these native people. They were so innocent and trusting, although they never knew who these strangers were, and there was no hostility. And the friars gave them the name. I don't, I, I, I can't pronounce it right. Some of our Spanish can probably do it better than I can, but um, see, how does it go? Los, uh, in, in, Los in something Indios. The children of God. That's what they call them. That was the first time. Indios. Was not meant to, because India was not India then. It was Hindustan. Nobody called it India. What, India didn't exist. It was a nation called Hindustan. If anything else, he would have called us Hindustanians if he thought he was in India. And someone said, I'm glad he wasn't looking for Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so you can call me Indian. I'm not offended. Because it means something. Indios. God. Children of God. And that's why I believe that we parallel the Jewish community and the atrocities, the genocides, the Holocaust. Over 14 million natives lived here. And that's the government's official acceptance of the amount of natives that was in this country in 1492. 14 million. In the year 1890, when the government took the first census, they could only find 248,000 of us left, almost a total genocide. Even today, we're only three and a half million. That's it. Every time we see, talk about any, we think, boy, they're the masses. No, we're, we're barely getting along. And, um, but we can't lose our identity because we're going to, improve you to the point that once you see the real worth then you will be a candidate to be a fisher and turn the Jewish communities back unto God I have many of our messianic brothers in Oklahoma that agrees with me they said we never saw it but it's a valid it's a valid introduction of something that we got to consider if you get us out of the way and, that, and we, we stand in your heart just as a, just citizens of the kingdom of God, you don't look at me, what I, how I dress or what I do, but you understand that God has rescued me from a world of sin just like he did you. And once we begin to, to march in that same army, because in the army, every one of you that's been military knows that there is enough, that you can't do that. I mean, they put you together, and you are to gain a buddy, and that buddy is to 
many times will covenant with you. They, don't let me die out there. If I get hit, don't let the enemy come. They make, they make covenants, and they keep them and rescue one another. Well, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God because, like I said, we're still in the military um, kingdom. We're fighting a warfare. We're fighting against principalities and powers, spiritual weakness, all of these things. Amen. We, we're beginning to define clearly. So right now, um, I'm not going to make you weary. I want you to agree with me, though, that this is going to be necessary. That you will be cautioned. Don't go overboard. Don't become an Indian. Don't go and find some feather and stick it in your hair and say, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what it's about. It's that relationship that we build one with another. I know down in Texas, they, 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 you would think they would know better than Texans. And one of them came up to me the other day. He said, hey, chief, he said, you, eat, you eat buffalo? I said, only the wings. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you right now, out of everybody I know, I believe Ed Savoso has the ingredients. He sees it, and, and he wrote his write-ups. And I went through it on the airline coming down, went over and over and over again. I said, my God, this is awesome. And, um, and I believe that um, once we get this thing settled, that, that there's orders and structure now being put in place, that we're going to begin to see... Um, everything we dreamed about. I remember the first time I came, I was over in Harlem to New York City. Well, I came to Smithtown over in Long, Long Island with Brother Savoso. But I was over here um, on another mission to the black community in Harlem. And I, I'm, I made mention to them. I said, in Oklahoma, when we stand up, our faith is getting better, bigger. I said, we all make a declaration. We say... We believe that all of Oklahoma and all of the home of the red men, wherever it is at, are being saved and transformed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we shout. I said that in that meeting, and one, one brother came up to me and said, no, no, he said, you know everybody ain't going to be saved. He said, hell wouldn't have been provided. Well, you know, I didn't know how to answer him. And I'd repent of it since I'm back in New York City. But I told him, I said, well, let them be from New York City. <laughs> but we believe that all Oklahoma can be saved. And then I found out I'm being called back. I had to do some repenting. <laughs> so forgive me. I let that story out to let you know that, amen, that I'm in repentance. And I believe in that transformation will come to New York City. Let's stand right now in Jesus' name. All right, all right, all right. I want all of our apostolic leaders to come stand with me. Whether you're apostolic or prophetic, I don't know if we can get everybody. We can get a good number of you out. <clears throat> These are my foundations. I do nothing alone. I'm worthless alone. I've realized that after 37 years of trying to turn the tribes back to God that I can't do it by myself. So God has been so gracious to me. Give me this. Now as we worship here, I'm going to be talking in my own language. 
I'll tell you why. Is because I'm fluid in my language. I say things so flowing <clears throat> that I understand it. Now, if I say it in English, it doesn't quite have the impact on me as it probably would you. So I'm just, I'll probably just open up and, and then we'll, and then I'll, we'll go into the English. Is that okay? But I want, what I want you to, if you're, if you're in faith with us tonight, there's something going to happen to you. And you'll never be the same in the area of ministry. <clears throat> your visions, your dreams are going to come to pass. Everything has to have a beginning. I know there's been a lot of false starts, well-meaning things. But it seems like we've got, we've got some ingredients that are coming together here now. That what we do here, we're not going to see cutoffs. We're going to see a continual flow until it begins a force to be reckoned with. <clears throat> so let's right now. I just want you to praise God, praise Him, in language, spiritual language, if you want to. All I'm going to do is serve notice in the heavens my way.
build back up the city of our God. We declare today that this is your kingdom. Now God, mantle each and every one of them. Touch their spirit, not their heads. Touch their spirit. Register God in their spiritual life that out of the womb, God is going to birth and move in this city. In Jesus' mighty name. Now let's shout and praise God for it. Hey!